Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We've had the opportunity over the last several weeks to look at uh, the perspective of several different people when it came to the, those days around this Christmas story, around uh, the, the birth of Christ. We've got to see several, several different perspectives from last week, Pharaoh, Joseph, um, as well as Mary. But we're going to look at an extraordinary couple this morning, to say the very least, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And I would not dare place them in the same category as Mary and Joseph, particularly Mary. Uh, Mary was definitely extraordinary. Uh, the Bible says so. She was blessed above all other women. And there are denominations, I believe, that put her on a pedestal that she shouldn't be on. But at the same time, I'm afraid often we don't give her the credit that she is do. She was definitely extraordinary. But this family here is special as well. Mickey Rector and I in our Sunday school class, we've been walking through the book of Luke. And um, we spent well over a month in uh, just chapter one. And this time as we made our th way through this chapter that I've been through countless times in my life, for some reason, humility just keeps coming up. Um, humility in regards to Mary and Joseph, but also humility in regards to Zachariah and Elizabeth. Humility, humble. Uh, we even talked about it this morning in regards to the, uh, to the shepherds. I'll give you my definition of humble because in the end, this will be our primary focus this morning is on humility. Now, I'm going to head down a lot of different rabbit trails uh, but primarily, the, my, the main focus at the end will be humility. But humility to me, when I read the Bible, humility is someone trying their best to live their life free, free from pride, because they realize who they are in the flesh. They're incapable of doing anything. They lack in so many areas. They can't control their next heartbeat. They can't control their next breath. And from this, they realize their need for a savior, which is Christ. To me, that is a wonderful picture of humility. And it's something you will see that lines up with so many people as you study the scriptures. People much like this. And so we're going to jump into chapter one. We're not going to read all of these verses because we're going to cover just about this entire chapter, but it's kind of neat to me, chapter one, how that you've got these four characters and their story kind of weaved together. Mary, Joseph, Zachariah, and Elizabeth, just one right after another. It tells these different things about these two couples. And verse in five and six, though, and in uh, Luke chapter one, we're given some wonderful information about this couple. Elizabeth, she was uh, from the priestly line of Aaron. We also have Zachariah, who was also a priest, one of 24 priests in that day and time. Luke would say something about them that was oftentimes said, God would say about wonderful characters in the Old Testament, like Noah, like Abraham. Uh, Luke here would say, God, they were considered righteous in God's eyes because they obeyed all the commandments and all the regulations of God. That's what you find Pretty normally throughout the scriptures, people that were used by God who were, were people who obeyed God's commandments with the exception of Jonah. 
But everyone else seems to fall under that category. But this couple had one major problem. Matter of fact, it was a problem in that day and time that was considered disgraceful. Um, Punishment, discipline in a lot of cases. And that was they were unable to have a child. Uh, Really sad in that day and time. Now, they're also far beyond having children. Uh, I look, tried to look this up and just could not find anything specific on this, but most seem to believe that they are somewhere around their 60s, okay? 60s, unable to have children, and you would assume at this point they're not going to have any. Now, you jump in here, and the, the story of, of Zachariah in particular, it's kind of neat because they would cast lots in that day and time to see who had the honor to go into the sanctuary and prepare it for service, burning the incense as it was talking about here while the others stayed outside and prayed. This was a week-long process. It was an honor. Some people, by casting lots, some would maybe never have the opportunity to do this while others would have multiple opportunities. And so this was Zachariah's week. And so he's there, he's preparing the sanctuary And this angel appears to him and like always, you know, fear not, usually the way that they would normally respond. And and then this angel would say this to Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. You're going to have a son and you will name him John. Now, considering how he responds to this in just a second and considering his age, and Elizabeth's age, I am assuming this was an old prayer. This was not something they had prayed recently, necessarily. This is something they had prayed in times past, maybe 15, 20, 30 years before this, they had prayed and asked God. Something we must keep in mind as followers of Christ, as Christians, is that God answers prayers. However, he answers prayers according to to his will, his purpose, his plan, and his timing. And it's really up to us as Christians to try and align our will with his will, praying for things that he would want. But God always answers prayer. Every time I think about this, and I've used this illustration so many times, but I always think of Garth Brooks and song that was a hit when I was in high school. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayer. And the the storyline to that song's fantastic. It's just got the wrong perspective. You know, the the story, if you know this song, is two young people, they're in high school, and they they start talking and dating. And this guy, man, he lays awake every night. Oh, God, if you'll just give me this girl, I'll never ask you for another thing as long as I live. And a lot of us have prayed that prayer at some point in time in our life. God, I just want this girl, just this one girl, if I can just marry this one girl. But they would date for a while and their paths would go different directions and he would get married and she would get married and they would both have kids and 20 years goes by and they see each other at a hometown football game and they, they quickly realize when they start talking to one another, it worked out for the best because they're a lot different now. And the song considered that an unanswered prayer when in all reality it's not an unanswered prayer at all. God said no. <laughs> That's what he was saying. No, this is not the best plan and purpose for your life. That's the way it works. God answers prayer. He says yes. When he says yes to a prayer, we post it on Facebook. God's wonderful. He's good. He's great. Marvelous. When God responds no, 
We post on Facebook. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. I, I don't get it. But then the most difficult answer oftentimes is you're going to wait. The waiting period. Oftentimes we confuse with no. Hard to cipher between the two. But God answers prayer. Yes, no, wait. It's normally the way that it works. Zechariah, he can't believe it. I mean, he's beyond the waiting. He thinks the answer's obviously been no. He questions the angel, much like Abraham and Sarah would back in Genesis chapter 18. There, she's in her, she's 91 years old, and the angel says, a year from now I'm coming back, you're going to have a son. She starts laughing. Same type of situation, but poor Zachariah, as we saw in the, in the video, he loses his ability to speak because of his lack of faith. But I love verse 19. We're, again, we're not going to read this verse, but this is one of the reasons we named our youngest son Gabriel, because he's questioning now. Zechariah is questioning this angel. How in the world can this be? We're too old to have children. And this angel would say, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. I mean, think about that. I stand in the very presence of God. God sent me with this message, this message and I can assure you, dude, you're going to have a son. Same type idea that you find with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 18, when the angel tells Abraham, you're going to have a son. A year from now, I'm going to come back, you're going to have a child. Sarah overhears it inside the tent. She starts laughing. and This angel's like, what's she laughing about? Is anything too hard for God? Nothing is impossible with God. That was the, the message that was given to them. Same message you could apply here as well. And I'm afraid that oftentimes as Baptists, we miss this. And I really do. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are other denominations whose whole faith is based off of emotions and miracles and sights and and those people live a, a tough life because, you know, your emotions change like the wind every day. And so it's a, definitely a roller coaster. But on the other hand, we as Baptists sometimes miss the fact nothing is impossible with God. I mean, he's, he's capable of miraculous, miraculous miracles. I mentioned this several weeks ago, but having been in different third world countries, I've I've got to hear the stories from these missionaries and these Christians, the things that happen over there that just cannot be explained. Only God can do. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, if you've heard this, but you know, there's a lot of Muslims right now in the Middle East that are converting to Christianity by way of dreams and visions. And it's happening sporadically all over the place and they can't explain it. And these people, they have these visions about Christ. And so they go seek out these Christians and the Christians share the gospel with them. And they're being converted in this manner. When I was with Campus Crusade for Christ, we would oftentimes hear the story of a, a man in a Budapest, a monk that worked in a monastery there in Budapest. And this guy one day took a nap, woke up and told the other monks, God's told me to go find Jesus. 
And they were like, well, go find him. So he heads out into the streets of the city and wanders around. He comes across this telephone pole with a flyer on it nailed to the telephone pole. And it said, the Jesus film tonight. And it said something about where it would be and the time. And he thought, well, all right. So he follows, he makes his way to this auditorium. He watches the Jesus film. He becomes a follower of Jesus Christ through this. And to this very day, that was in the late, mid, late 70s. He is the director for Campus Crusade over Budapest. I mean, God does miraculous things. He's God. He does as he pleases. He does whatever he wants to do. That's what Gabriel was telling Zechariah. Don't question God. If he says you're going to have a child, you'll have a child. Lo and behold, when you look down in verse 24, and Elizabeth became pregnant. Now, I promise you, <clears throat> we're going to get to humility in just a moment. As you read through these verses, and I forgot my Bible this morning. I have my study Bible, so you're going to have a hard time keeping, keeping up with me. I'm going to read verses 39 through 41. It says, a few days later, Mary hurried to the country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary goes to visit her, her cousin, and at the sound of Mary's voice, John leaps within her womb, and then the Bible says that she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, something you missed out on is back in verse 15, the Bible also said that Angel Gabriel told Elizabeth, you're going to have a child. Before the child's ever born, it'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Before it's ever born. I'm not going to get into that this morning. But for me, when I read this, one thing, this, this verse really is one of the reasons I'm pro-life. Because it's evidence, it's proof. You've got two living beings here, two individuals. One filled with the Holy Spirit, later on the other filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Two distinct different people here in this situation. Last rabbit trail I'm going to go on before we get to our main point. I want you to think for just a moment, if you would, you think about John's purpose on this earth. Just think about it. He was foretold back in the book of Malachi and the book of Isaiah, this forerunner, this, this voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for Christ. His sole purpose on this earth was to direct and point people to Christ. And now in this moment, unbeknowingly, he comes in contact with this person for the first time, the voice of the mother of Jesus, and he leaps for joy. You know, really, as followers of Christ, I hope that we understand as believers we're on the same mission as John the Baptist. There's really no difference whatsoever. We have the same mission. Our purpose for living is to direct and to point people to Christ, period. And there should have been a moment in our life at some point in time when we came in contact with that Messiah for the first time, and that should be exciting. As a matter of fact, it should be something that's a part of our testimony 
When we witness to people, that story on that day when our, eyes, our blind eyes were open and we could see, that should be exciting. Much like the situation here. John the Baptist was the first of many, many, preparing, directing people to the Messiah. Now, just like God chose the perfect parents, humanly speaking, for Jesus, Mary and Joseph, he also chose the perfect parents for John the Baptist. Considering his role, flawless. Flawless when you study these verses. Again, I'm not going to read these to begin with, but in verses 42 through 45, Elizabeth being pregnant. Now, I want you to understand this. You got to get this. Elizabeth being pregnant with a miracle child. Miracle child here. Pregnant with this child. When she comes in contact with Mary, the words that you would read there in verses 42 through 45 go something like this. God has blessed you above all women. Your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord would visit me? When I heard your greeting, my baby leaped for joy inside of me. You are blessed, Mary, because you believed the Lord. And if you studied that, if you went back in chapter 1, you would find that when the, Mary, when the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to have a child, she said, I'm never, I don't even know a man. I mean, what do you've never known a man before. What are you talking about? And the angel said, you're going to have a child. And she said, well, may it happen according to your word. May, may your will be done. Everything that Elizabeth is saying is directed to Mary and this child. Think about that for a moment. I mean, Elizabeth, of all the women that's ever walked this earth, she's the second greatest. She's got this small window of opportunity to boast and brag just a little. I mean, you know, after all, her son was foretold in the book of Isaiah and the book of Malachi. I mean, that doesn't happen every day. And then to beat all, and listen to what I say here, don't jump to conclusions. But from those onlookers, from their perspective on this, Elizabeth, her pregnancy was much more miraculous than Mary's. No one would have believed Mary's story. 13, 14 years of age. Oh, never been with a man. Sure. Engaged to Joseph, whatever. That would have been explained away. But this woman, possibly in her 60s, maybe 70s, pregnant with a child, this is miraculous. And yet she is diverting all the attention back to Mary and the baby that Mary would carry. Humility. Someone trying to live free from pride because they know who they are in the flesh and they see their need and their desire. They have a desire and they see their need for Christ. Then you move on to the story of Zechariah, starting there around verses 57 and 58. You have the birth of John the Baptist. The Bible says there in those verses, everyone knew John was special. Good grief. Now you're, you're taking it to a whole new level now. 
you had these onlookers that are watching. You know, this is like one of these series on television going on. These, you know, life story, watching them as it goes type reality shows. And they're thinking, it's crazy enough she got pregnant. Let's see how she does now in labor. She has the child. She's okay. These people, and it says it again here in verse 66, 66 in just a second. They're thinking, this kid is obviously favored by God. Now, everyone knows your child is special. Parents, think about that. We all as parents at some point in time in our life, we brag and we talk about our kids. Academically, you know, athletically, professionally, whatever the case might be, there are times when, as crazy as it is, you know, in your mind, you've got this scenario set up where everybody else wishes they had your child. It's just normal. Imagine everybody knowing your child's special. From birth, babies just let, hadn't done a thing. And everyone's telling you, your child is blessed of God. It's special. It's favored by God. Throughout Elizabeth's pregnancy, miraculous, people are watching, praising. Now it's born. Everybody's favored. Got Mary over here on the sidelines. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever happening. Nothing going on on that side of the picture. On the eighth day, they would go to, for the circumcision, and on that day, they would name the child. That's the way that it worked. And it's funny. Video skit's kind of funny because Elizabeth says, we're going to call it John. And again now, people are like, John? There's no one in Zachariah's immediate family named John. Some of them may be thinking, oh, she's taking advantage of the situation. He can't talk. She's going to name it whatever she wants to name the child. So they kind of, by way of sign language, John, I mean, Zachariah, you hearing this? And he would ride on a slat. His name is John. And instantly the Bible says he's able to speak. And instantly he begins to praise God for what's happening, for what's taking place. And again, everyone knows John's special. You got a 60-year-old man that had prayed for years and thought that God had said no to his prayer. Then this angel appears out of nowhere, tells him, you're going to have a son. This child is born. Verse 66, it goes on to say, what in the world this child turned out to be? People are saying that the hand of God is surely on this child. And then look at the first recorded words that we have that Luke writes down in regards to Zechariah. The first thing that he says, verse 68, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David. Just as he promised through his, through his holy prophets long ago, now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. The first thing that comes out of this proud father's mouth, the first thing we hear, 
Zechariah says, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He sent us a Savior from the royal line of David, the one that the holy prophets predicted, the seed of Abraham, our Redeemer. And there would have no doubt been some standing there thinking, he's talking about his son. Unless they are confused, he goes on there in verses 76 through 79, and he gives a description of his son, what his son was put on this earth to do. And he says, my son is the one who will prepare the way for this one. He's not the one. He will prepare the way for this one. He, he's going to tell the people how to find salvation. He will direct those who are walking in darkness to the light. And again, you just have to put yourself in some of these people's places as they're sitting here listening. What are you talking about? Whether he said it or not, Zechariah, there's one coming. Jesus, this, this kid, 13, 14-year-old kid over here. Jesus is coming. That's the reason God chose Zachariah and Elizabeth. Humility. As parents, that would have been so difficult to do. And yet these parents are directing, diverting all the attention to Christ. John the Baptist turned out the way that he was because of godly parents directing him and teaching him what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Plain and simple. He had fantastic examples. And can you imagine some of their conversations through the years? Probably look a lot different than some of ours. Can you imagine through the years, Zachariah sitting down with his son and saying, don't listen to them, John. Don't believe the hype, John. You're not that great. It's all about Jesus. That's what you're put here for. Don't listen to what these people, don't fall into temptation and have pride. It's all about Christ. And I believe that's why you see in John chapter 3, when you, when you study and you see the life of John the Baptist, that... He had been around preaching for a while now, and Jesus makes his way onto the scene. And John the Baptist would say, it's time for me. i got to decrease so that Christ can increase. I've, I've got to remove myself. Matter of fact, I'll be, I'll be put to death. And Jesus would later on, in regards to John the Baptist, say, no one that's ever walked this earth is greater than John the Baptist. But it's kind of Christianity, though, isn't it? You know? Sacrificing, crucifying self, denying self, and loving others, lifting up others. Couldn't find two better examples of that. John would direct countless people to Christ. He would be the forerunner. Just in case you don't understand that, some of you probably do, some of you may not. In that day and time, a king or someone of importance would always have a forerunner that would go before them on a road, preparing the way for their chariot. There were potholes. If there were problems, they would fill in these little holes and make the path as smooth as possible for the king. And that is exactly, spiritually speaking, what Jesus Christ, what he would do for Christ. He would prepare the way as smooth as possible for Jesus and for his ministry to come. He would be arrested, 
probably, I've said this before, probably my favorite part of the story of John the Baptist is that he would doubt Christ. Makes me feel good. See this guy that was foretold in the Old Testament, could have read about himself. Born to a woman in her 60s, lived this amazing life. Everybody knows he's special. And yet he would sit there in prison doubting, sending some of his disciples to Jesus. We got to know now, are you really the Messiah? They would bring back word he was and he would die for his faith, for speaking truth. But this isn't about John the Baptist. This all stems back to parents that knew the value of this season we celebrate. It all stems back to parents that are teaching their children, their son, the meaning of life. I would hope and pray we here at Miles Strait seek to raise our children the same way to obey, follow, live for Christ. Showing them the, the meaning, the value this day that we celebrate the coming of our Messiah because after all no one deserves our praise like Christ I mean you want to talk about humility God coming to this earth among his creation in the form of a man born in a barn like an animal wrapped in rags first people that would come to see him were outcasts from society shepherds he never owned a house as long as he lived died like a criminal on a cross buried in a borrowed tomb most importantly on the third day he would be raised back to life conquering the penalty for sin which was death and he did it for us you talk about humility You can't find humility like that.